you'll open your Bibles now to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. As we're prepared to study John 13, I want you to follow with me, if you will, mentally, the events that are leading up to this passage. It is the week before the Passion, that is, before the suffering and the death of Christ. It has been a week that has been filled with highs and lows. If you remember last week, as we studied John chapter 12, as Jesus arrived at Bethany at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the next day was the day of his triumphal entry. He came into Jerusalem, and before him people were placing palm branches. They were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm certain if you were present and one of the Lord's disciples, you would have felt he's getting the honor that he deserves. Fast forward with me to Tuesday. Jesus again makes his trip to Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. And as he arrives, there are people who are trying to take advantage of the Passover feast that was coming. There are people there who are buying and selling animals for the purpose of sacrifices. There are people who are changing money. And the anger of the Lord came out and he turned over their tables. He drove the people selling the animals out of the temple. That morning introduced a day of conflict. It appeared that every group that had any reason to want to have conflict with Christ had it that day. Pharisees, Sadducees, it was very much a day of conflict. That was a low. Then you go forward two more days. It's Thursday. The Lord is going to be crucified the next day. The Lord's personal ministry is over. His public dealing with people, that's over. He is now ready to take those men who were so close to him and prepare them for what is going to be a great challenge. How will they deal with the difficulties they're going to face when the Lord is gone? I'd like for us to study four things from John chapter 13. I want us to look first of all at the timing. Verse 1 has a lot to say about that. Number two, I would like for us to look at the temptation First, that of Judas, and then the temptation faced by the rest of the apostles. Number three, I would like for us to look at the Lord's teaching, primarily through the washing of their feet. And then, finally, some truths that are to be drawn from this. Let's begin looking at chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now as you read that, it says before the Passover. The Passover was a very important feast. It goes all the way back to the children of Israel leaving the bondage in Egypt. It involved not only the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils, but the sacrificing of a lamb that would be eaten as a part of a Passover meal. In order to do it properly, you had to make preparation for it because there were various details, and I'm not going to go into those details, but I want you to notice Mark chapter 14 records the events preparing for this Passover. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? The Lord is then going to give them instructions saying they're going into the city, they're going to greet a man and they're going to say to him, my Lord needs this and they're going to be led to a large upper room where all the preparations have been made. You see, this is where he's going to eat with them. And it says, in the evening he came with the twelve. Now, the second thing that you notice out of chapter 13, verse 1, is that his hour had come. If you read previously back in chapters 7 and verse 30, in chapter 8 and verse 20, you'll notice a phrase that is used. He said, because his hour had not yet come. They didn't take Jesus. They wanted him. They wanted to kill him, but they didn't take him because his hour had not yet come. But when you come to chapter 12 and verse 23, that hour has now arrived. He said in chapter 12, 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. All of this is following a pattern and a plan that was set forth by God. His departure from the world was to get the disciples ready. In fact, John 13 verse 1, going all the way through John 16, is Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and preparing their minds and their hearts for his being gone. In chapter 14 verse 28 we read, You've heard me say, to you that I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I said, I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. For a moment, pause with me. Let's look at things through the Lord's eyes and let's look at them through the apostles' eyes. In their mind, they're thinking about themselves. And he's trying to get them to think and see things from his perspective. He said, if you understood what this really meant for me to go back to the Father, you would rejoice for me. In chapter 16 and verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world and again I leave the world and go to the Father. 
Jesus is going to leave. These disciples need to know some things. And I'd suggest to you the first thing that you and I should realize is the Lord has a plan. It's all working together as He designed it and originated it. Even as our Lord was prepared to ascend to heaven, they came to Him and they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. What Jesus was saying is, you may not always know God's timing, but you need to appreciate God knows what He is doing. I may not always understand myself, nor would you. Why the Lord tarries, and how long the Lord will tarry. But I know that when the time comes for Jesus to return, when God so deems it, it will take place. Now let's move to the second part of our lesson and let's go to the temptation. And if you'll look with me now at verse 2 and then verses 21 through 27. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let that verse sink in for just a moment. Timing-wise, let it sink in about what Judas is doing. Now when you drop down to verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then his disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Now again, pause with me for just a moment here. Look at verse 21. He was troubled in spirit The Lord was not only fully God, but He was fully human. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed by a close friend. He knows what it is to have a troubled mind. Have you ever lain awake at night, disturbed because someone you thought was a good friend had betrayed you with words? Our Lord looked at Judas and he was, knew who he was and knew what he was going to do. The disciples are concerned who it is that's going to do this. Verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I give a piece of bread after or when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. And now the piece of, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now when you start thinking about the temptation of Judas, 
Judas betrayed Jesus for money. Oh, you remember last week as Mary took that precious ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus with it. How it was Judas who spoke up and said, this should have been sold so the money could have been given to the poor. John adds he didn't say this because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas was a man whom money tempted him. But John tells us that Satan has already entered his heart. I want you to understand, Judas is not just thinking and this pops into his head and says, you know what, I think I'm going to betray him. No, it was something that had already been in his heart and in his mind. If you go to Matthew's account in chapter 26, verse 14, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? You see, for him, it was a bargain. Tell me what you'll give and then I'll betray him. Money was so important to him, in fact, more important to him than anything else. And I put in the notes that this was premeditated. If you go to Luke's parallel account in chapter 22, verse 6, so he promised and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Judas had already planned before he got to this meal where Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. He already had in his mind what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. He was going to try to find an occasion where there was not a lot of people around because they feared the multitude. See, money can be a strong attraction for people, but it quite often ends with disastrous consequences. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote to Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. What Paul is telling Timothy is exactly what's happening with Judas. A temptation was placed before him by Satan. When it says Satan had already entered him, don't think that Satan took over his life and made his choices for him. What Satan had done, Satan had entered his life and put before Judas a temptation, and Judas took it. And Judas betrayed our Lord. And yet, as all these apostles are sitting around and they're saying, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Am I going to be the one who's going to betray you? The Lord is going to reveal to them, every one of them are going to fall. We're going to see in chapter 16 and verse 32, he'll tell them that directly. But theirs is not premeditated. In their minds and in their hearts, they have in every intention of doing good and doing right. In chapter 16, 32, Jesus says, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come when you will all be scattered. 
each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. You're all going to desert me. You know, Peter had protested to the Lord. He would stand with him through thick and through thin. And in Luke's parallel account in chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, establish your strength and your brethren. You've got to realize Satan wants you, Peter. He's going to tempt you. He's going to try you. He's going to test you. No, Lord, I'm not going to give in. He didn't intend to give in, but in a moment of weakness did. As you look at John 13, realize there's two ways that people respond to temptation. Some people will say no and they will resist it completely. Others will give in, but of those who give in, there's two different types. There are those who give in, they know they're giving in, they plan on giving in, and it becomes a premeditated, pre-planned, high-handed sin like that of Judas. And sometimes it's because of the weakness of people in their lives. They don't want to sin. They don't plan on sinning. And yet they find themselves caught up in it. Now let's move to the third part of it. The part which I'm assuming most of you said, well, that's what he's going to preach on, the washing of feet. Let's begin now with verse 3 and go through verse 17. Jesus knowing the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon said, Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and sat down. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, I want you to observe what's going on here. The Lord knows their needs. As much as they have traveled with him and have observed his actions, he has observed each of these apostles and what it is they need. And there's a real big need at this particular moment. If you take the parallel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, here's what you learn. Right after the supper, They've just finished eating. There's an after-dinner argument. I would ask you, has there ever been a time in your family when you finished a meal and right after you start discussing politics or you start discussing something else and what you find yourself engaged in is a debate or an argument about something? The Lord has said somebody's going to betray him. And the conversation has changed from who is going to betray the Lord to who is the greatest of the disciples. I want to take you to Luke's parallel account in Luke 22. Verse 21, Behold, of the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Think about that. The hand of my betrayer is on the table with me. Verse 23. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Who's the sorry, low down, no count, worthless disciple of the Lord? Now look at verse 24 as the conversation turns. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. All the conversation is now, which one of us is going to be the greatest of all these? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary... He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. I can't imagine the grief that that must have brought our Lord To look among him knowing that within just hours he's going to give his life. And they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. The Lord here was teaching a principle. A principle by which he lived. A principle which he spoke to them on numerous occasions. And that is simply this. 
God doesn't want you to be high-minded. God doesn't want you thinking about how great you are. God wants you to think about how can I serve? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Paul goes on to explain, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and being coming in the likeness of men. And it goes on to say that he humbled himself to the point of obedience on the cross. Jesus shows what it means To be great, it means to serve. It means to give. Why choose the washing of the feet? This was a very common activity in the first century. You know, most of us get up in the morning, we'll take a shower, we'll put on socks or some other covering our feet, then we'll put on shoes In the first century, most people wore what we would call sandals. And as they would walk from place to place, their feet would get very dirty. And it was a common means of hospitality. That when someone came to your home, we said, can I take your coat? Would you like something to drink? The common hospitality is, let's wash your feet. It refreshed, it cleansed, it was a humble act of hospitality. I could spend a lot of time, Genesis chapter 18 verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Genesis 19 verse 2, here now my lords please turn in your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Or you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 25 is. Abigail says to David's crew, then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maid servant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. In other words, I'm here as a servant doing a lowly task. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 10, he talks about widows being enrolled, special women. He said, well reported of for good works. If she has brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, she's washed the saints' feet. An act of kindness, an act of humility. Oh, that's what the Lord was trying to teach them. There's some truths to be observed here. I sat as I tried to consider John 13 and what you start doing is you make a whole page of things that you say could be learned. But I really just want to draw three truths to be learned from this chapter. Number one, love prepares. He loved his disciples to the end. Jesus knew he was going to leave. 
And it would have been irresponsible, but really a lack of love to not prepare these men for what they're going to face. I want to be direct and personal for just a moment. What are you doing to prepare your family for your departure? Oh, she said, well, I've got life insurance, so I know that my family will be fed. They'll be able to have food to eat and clothes to wear and a place to live. Wonderful. What are you doing to prepare your family spiritually? Are you the one in your family who gets up in the morning and says, all right, everybody, let's get ready. We've got to go to church. Are you teaching your family... Preparing your family that when you are gone, they're going to be faithful. I want to tell you why I say that is. You can look around the pews near you, and I can guarantee you that there are people who are not here, families who are not here, because the faithful one in the family died. Jesus was preparing these disciples. Number two, love resist. Temptation comes in many forms. We talked about the temptation of Judas. We talked about the temptation of the apostles. And you know, if you really love the Lord, you don't want to disappoint Him. You don't want to give in to temptations. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Are you subject to temptation? Yes. Am I subject to temptation? Yes. Everyone is. There is a sin that is so easy to commit. Love resist. Jesus would say, if you are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Number three, love serves. Christianity is all about being the kind of people the Lord has trained us to be. And it's so easy to get into a, an idea that it's about me. People are to make me happy. People are to serve me. Oh no, that's not it at all. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This morning, I hope that when you think about things, and particularly as spiritual things, you say, it's not about me, it's about the Lord, and it's not about me, it's about my brother and my sister in Christ. Chapters 13 through 16 happen in just a matter of a few short hours. Jesus knows what's about to happen and he's trying to prepare these closest disciples. 
He's going to sacrifice himself, which is the ultimate demonstration of his own love. I like the way he puts it in John 15 and verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is saying, I'm dying for you. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it's obvious we didn't deserve it. Not at all. I want to end with a passage that I hope motivates and encourages you. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned your back on the things that you've done wrong and made an about face in your life? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. When we sing this song of encouragement, if you're not yet a Christian, please Come to the front seat up here. We would love to see a new brother or a new sister in Christ this morning. Not for what we see, but for what God sees. Because that's stealing one away from the devil and giving God one of his children. If you are a Christian and you have sin in your life you're not alone you're not unique that's happened to each and every one of us there's times when we need to let our brothers and sisters in Christ know we're struggling and we've repented and we want to correct things here's an opportunity for you for us to pray together For you to make things right with God, to leave this place with a smile on your face. If you need to respond, please come together as we stand and sing.